Hey guys, welcome to Café Mehfil, a space for social political discourse organized weekly by the Parsons Paris Student Government 2020-2021. I'm Zara. Thank you for tuning in. So I'm Zara. All of you know me. Um, <laughs> and do you want to go next? I'm from India. I'm from the I am Yush. I'm from India, and I teach at Parsons. Hello, I'm Anya. I'm from Canada. Um, I'm from India, and I pronounce it Shiyan And our guest online. Hi, I'm Ikra. I study at Hong Kong University, uh, third year. I'm actually I've been known Zara since high school, which is how we met. Um, and it's nice to meet you all. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. I feel like moving forward, it would be nice to have like. I don't know, like different people every time. Like, for example, we have Piyush and Ikra here today. So depending on what we're talking about, like we could have someone and you guys are free to suggest if there's anyone who would be relevant to have on. But anyways, guys, so from last week, we were talking about um, education systems in our different countries. And the like the idea of language came up, specifically like how the English language fits in because all of us grew up speaking it and like studying it at school, like despite having like our local languages. So I thought it'd be cool to talk about like this um, democracy of the language almost, because I feel like um, with the current climate, like no one really owns um, like this language and it's kind of become like a universal sort of thing that everyone can use. And even for countries like mine, for example, like it's the official language, despite the fact that um, I would say like 70% of our population, like they don't speak it, like, if I'm right. Um, but yeah, like it, it's kind of weird and dystopian. Um, and Ikra's here today because she had a personal experience with with this whole thing, which I think would be a nice way to start off if you're comfortable with doing that, of course. So yeah, what do you think, Ikra? Like it really yeah. Okay. Okay. So do you well, want to you get my brother out? Can you leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <that's important. laughs> No, I have, I've been learning Spanish for a bit now and uh, so far, like every, people have been really helpful. Like I have had a lot of Spanish exchange partners throughout uh, like the past few months. One of the women I was learning from, like, and I used to teach her English in return. She, uh, she was from Spain and basically she said to me one day that uh, she was looking for someone who's a native speaker uh, i.e. someone who's from the United States or the United Kingdom. Um, and she basically implied that um, she was looking for someone with a higher level of English, uh, which I didn't really understand because I uh, I think my level of, fluent, of fluency is pretty, um, pretty satisfactory, right? But um, she didn't. And I think it was because of either my accent or because she wanted to pick up an, uh, a westernized accent or something. I don't know. So it, it really got me thinking and I, uh, yeah, it's just something that's really like implicit, but you just face, you just face it like every day or like regularly, you know, if you're not the, the traditional cisgendered white. Thanks for sharing that, bro. Like, um, I think that's a really good way to start off because it kind of points to the problem exactly. And I feel like, okay, so one of my friends was talking to me and she was like, you know, um, like she grew up, I think, in North Carolina or somewhere. And she was like, yeah, when I grew up, like my parents didn't want me to have like that 
southern accent and they like for forced her to like inculcate like a like a more attractive accent if that makes sense and she was like yeah like with my family like I would often like lapse back into speaking that way and my friends would just judge me for that and I thought like I don't know it's kind of ridiculous how within within a language like you know you have these divisions and it kind of echoes also like a lot of religions because we've been talking a lot about how um I guess religious illiteracy and how within within Islam like you have different sects and there's discrimination within that as well so it kind of also applies to something like English hi Fiona um okay we have one more person um so Fiona we have um two guests here today this is my friend Ikra I've known her since high school and then we have Piyush who's a professor as you know yes um so we were just like we were just talking about um so Ikra was telling us about how wait do you want to go over it again I'm sorry like a quick summary where I can do it for you it was just just about um it was just about uh having preference uh having having a preference of um westernized accents or accents like mine basically yeah, and then I was just talking about how, like, within the U.S. as well, like, one of my friends was talking about how her parents would want her to have, like, a different accent and not have, like, a southern accent from where she grew up in. Yeah, so I don't know if someone want to lead up to that, maybe the Americans here, but what, <laughs> how you perceive accent in the U.S. or if someone has a reaction to what Ikra said, like, it's a very open form discussion I should have mentioned at the start. But, yeah, if anyone, like, has any thoughts, you're welcome to speak up at any point. I'm just here to kind of get things going. I don't know, yeah, I think, I think both the accents and the language thing is interesting in the U.S. because there's such a, like, I think it's a stereotype, but it's also kind of true that, like, people, um, especially white people in the States, are, like, pissed off whenever somebody doesn't speak perfect English with a, like, American accent. Um, and that's super unfortunate. <laughs> and I think especially on the West Coast, um, where there's a lot of Hispanic speakers, if you have any Hispanic accent at all, or even if you look Hispanic, like it doesn't matter if you have mm-hmm. an accent. Um, there's like a whole bunch of weirdness that gets directed at you, and you know mm-hmm. whether or not your vocabulary is good or you speak eloquently, it's the presence of an accent that just like brings you shit in your daily life. Yeah, kind of similar to that. I grew up in a community that was kind of bilingual, so everyone either spoke English or Spanish. And a lot of like the way women from the suburbs connected to speaking in Spanish, they'd be like, honey, you're an American now. You don't need to do that. Why? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of times if you are speaking another language, you'll get checked and basically told, no, this is this is America. We speak English here. Stop it. Okay, that's kind of shocking. Like I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And also that it's like more prevalent like on the West Coast. I'm also wondering, like, if it has anything, like you said, Tessa, like the way you look, like would people notice your accent more if you look more foreign? And also, like, what does it mean to look foreign or have an accent? You know what I mean? Like who decides whose accent less and who has one? Like Ikra said, like, you know, like this woman preferred people from the UK or the US, like for their accent. But who sets the standard of what the accent is? Because if you think about it, the US accent is also like it should be an accent because it came from colonization. Um, if you consider like the the root of the English language to be in the UK. I don't know, like that's just what I was thinking about. Yeah, I don't know, it's interesting because there's such a diversity of accents across the country. Mm-hmm. Like there's places that sound super English or even Irish, 
Westerners like the South, which even the South has a lot of different accents. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the West Coast at this point has like the idea of like the basis, like normal <laughs> accent. Um, I don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think even within the US, there's a lot of connotations to what accent you have. But yeah. if you live in the South, you might be thought to be a redneck or like an idiot. Yeah, and stuff like that. So. Oh, that's interesting. Like, so your intellect comes in there as well, and yeah. your political beliefs from what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with New York accents. Like, mm-hmm. if you have like, a little thick Italian New York accent, then certain conversations come about as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like an identity marker almost at this point. Like, yeah. And it, like, even more so, like, when you consider the internationality of the language, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And as for, um, looking a certain way i don't think that matters really because i have friends who were born and raised in hong kong not really looking westernized at all you know like you know asian people but they have an american accent and they're they're treated differently like people pay more attention to them when they're speaking um and it's just so obvious so i don't think it has a face to it as much as like also, when you talk about like being treated differently, do you mean like professionally like in terms of what kind of jobs you would get or at school? Yeah, professionally too. Like I think some professors implicitly do that. Okay. Mm. Yeah, we have a professor here, so maybe <laughs> he can comment on um, on that bit. No, just um, I just in taking note of all these aspects of you know how our accents participate in the image that is created of us with the preconceived notions that we have about our culture. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fantastic uh, how the relationship of the English language with uh, accents, whether it is the American accent or the British accent, you know, uh, has uh, it has a lot to do with you know uh, the quest of integration that immigrants have and um, yeah I mean right now I'm just taking notes I th- I thought of like like some of the instances when um, you know I have noticed my accent or I have heard upon it. And yeah, it's it's a learning experience. You know, as an immigrant, mm-hmm. it's a learning experience to know how your accent evolves. In France, I have this ridiculous comfort of having my English accent go unnoticed. You know, because people they speak in oh, French, yeah. Yeah. and it's very funny because um, when I speak in French, uh, because I picked it up here and I picked it up when I was about your age. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a great age to learn any language. Uh, I speak French, you know, uh, as well, I would say a Parisian person. Mm-hmm. And people have always told me that that's so surprising. You don't have an accent. Yeah, one of my friends commented on that, like when we had class together, actually, <laughs> they were like, yeah, Piyush speaks French and he doesn't have an accent. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't speak French, so I can't tell. <laughs> That's very interesting because what does it mean to not have an accent? Exactly, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in English, you always have an accent. Yeah. You have yeah. an American accent, you have a British accent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you always have an accent. You never say that, you know, you don't have an accent. 
So it goes a lot to say about the perception of linguistic diversity in France, in the French language. And uh, just so you guys know, uh, a new bill banning accent-based discrimination uh, has been passed or uh, oh, put on the table in France in October 2020. There is a term for accent-based discrimination in French. It's called like glutophobia. So glottophobia. Okay. And it was initially, so it was approved with 98 votes against three and it sparked a debate on the lower house of French parliament. And uh, it basically makes linguistic discrimination a criminal offense along with sexism, racism and other forms. And it had a lot to do with the discrimination some French people have faced on the basis of their own regional accents. Oh, I see. Okay. Because the French non-accent, as they said, that's not you don't have an accent, is so predominant that in reality, even uh, French speakers from some regions like the South face professional discrimination. So there is a legal uh, structure to this now in okay. France, at least pertaining to French. I'm also wondering, like, for the English accent, like, I feel like the media has a lot to do with it because you see a certain type of accent in TV shows or in movies and that becomes, like, the standard or, like, the non-accent. Is it the same for French when you talk about, like, the standard for what a French accent or a French non-accent should be, if that makes sense? Like, for Urdu, I feel like, I don't know if you agree with this, Ikra, but you see a certain accent, like, in movies and stuff. And I feel like that's what I sound like when I speak Urdu. And that also speaks a lot about your privilege in that because, you know, you grew up speaking in that accent. And then when we go to like places outside of Karachi, like in the more rural parts of Sindh, or for you, when Ikra speaks Urdu, you have a Sindhi accent. And I can tell, and um, my mom has commented on it in the past, not in a bad way, but just like, you know, um, just pointing it out. Like people feel the need to point it out which annoys me. Um, but anyways, like, I feel like for each language, like it really, uh, like the media really plays a part in saying who has what, and also politicians, because those are the people you see on TV. Um, but yeah, just my thoughts on why. It's definitely true for the American accent. I mean, if you come to think of it, uh, the, the Hollywood industry has played such a huge part in the, at least the, the dream of the American accent. Yeah. I mean, just think about it from this perspective that, you know, I mean, some of the greatest Australian actors of our generation, like uh, Christian Bale, uh, you know, these guys, they do the American accent extremely well, but then what, which American accent as well? In uh -huh. fact, they train also in specific American accents. Mm -hmm. And um, it has one a lot to do, of course, with, uh, Hollywood uh, with cultural export, you know, uh, it's definitely the fact that the American accent is an accent that has become predominant in education worldwide uh, in terms of uh, teaching English mm -hmm. is a result of that on one hand, you know, uh, and also in, in India, um, it is also a result of um, a small part of our uh, industrial history, which is the, the service industry, call centers. So you mm -hmm. see when the software boom happened in, in, in the year 2000, uh, when the dot-com boom happened and, uh, you know, uh, services for software were being exported uh, to India and to South Asia, to Southeast Asia, 
basically the idea was to have support centers you know call centers uh, responding to queries about you know i know my my software is not working my car is not working and you have someone speaking in a perfect american accent responding to you and you know telling you what to do mm. and uh, that has actually a huge part also in india at least uh with how the american accent became democratized in education mm. so there are there's a cultural aspect to it and there's also an economic aspect to it i guess yeah for education like that was going to be my next question i was wondering if all of you guys like not from the us like anya piyush um abba and nishwarya and also like like if you guys could comment on like at schools you know what sort of accent would you be taught in because this is something we were talking about last week like even with private schools and with public schools like you have different levels right yeah. so if you're extremely privileged you go to a school where maybe like the teachers speak in a different accent yeah. so you can also tell who's coming from what school because of the way they speak and for us like for me and ikra like the school that we grew up in like you could tell if someone had been there for longer because their accent was more different because they'd been brought up like from like a young age like with that accent and you could tell if someone came in later on right um so yeah i'm just wondering if it's the if it's different for when you were growing up in china or when you were growing up in india um yeah so that's actually pretty interesting cuz i was born in america um so like when i was really young i heard people speak in american accent but i moved back when i was like two so i don't remember much but till that period i was something it, it, i was in school called, like in the board called cbse so everyone around me was like most people around me were like indian born in india born in india and i like i had a very thick indian accent as well and when i moved i moved schools to i went to international school uh, for 11 years i did eib so everyone around me was born in america grew up in america and moved to india at some point and i noticed my accent changing like being around them and being around my like friends who were born in india brought up in india my accent changed and after coming here like a lot of my friends are like from america as well and or from the uk and stuff like that so i actually noticed my my accent changing when i'm around different people and that sort of like shocked me because it changed immediately that when i speak to speak to my parents in like marathi or in english <laughs> it it's just like this intensive and i it sort of makes me question my own identity at yeah. some point and you we were speaking you talked about the french accent as well so basically i i've learned french for eight years and i learned it in school in india so i've been taught by indian teachers so i can talk to an indian like what's the indian accent who speaks french really really well but i can't talk to a parisian in french and that that was also really interesting to me because it wasn't like it's like the indian french accent you know it's a different language but an indian accent and that was like it was like the duality of like two countries mm-hmm. it's like interesting because it's like one language how is it like different in different countries mm-hmm. you know yeah. like that's like the complex thing like what english is like you know throughout the it's a reflection it's like so yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, I want to like add something to the French thing. Like I was talking to someone in French and they were just like, they assumed I was from the US and I was like, why? Because mm-hmm. they were like, when you speak French, it sounds like you also speak English. And then I was, I was like, why? <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, Ishwari, um, do you want to compare um, your... Uh-huh. Uh, just in, in our last session, we were talking about these different syllables. So I think mm-hmm. she kind of touched upon that. And I mentioned the IB syllabus, so okay. she studied. Yeah. So that's when I kind of spoke about the accent where it comes in. And mm-hmm. I feel that there is some sort of 
privilege and like a status symbol that is attached to this accent. Yeah, so sure. that, oh, that's exactly. interesting. Like a status. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So that is why you see, uh, for example, I went to CBC school. So you do not see this uh, accent coming in there. Okay. But in an IB, you see that coming yeah. in there. People, everybody around you, all the students, and they mm-hmm. are from a very uh let's extremely privileged yeah, all of them are like not just privileged like yeah extremely privileged background yeah. so they uh start speaking in this accent they've been like taught from a very young age like how you said in your high school yeah so yeah i feel that this uh this status symbol symbol being attached to it uh that's how people look at it and that's how that's how i see people kind of trying to imitate that accent mm. even if they're not familiar with it okay so that actually funnily enough kind of drove me away from it because i saw like a lot of people trying to imitate and when they moved abroad even though that's not how they speak just for the sake of it just to show that they uh, you know have this element of privilege mm. they kind of start imitating it so yeah i think uh, in my case that ca- kind of kept me away from it okay yeah yeah i mean th- the syllabus thing is interesting like how many different syllabus like syllabi yeah, uh states cbsc icsc and ib okay and do you think like Uh, you can't can hear us yeah yeah i can hear you guys oh, i think it was just my computer um yeah we're moving in the is it still recording yeah it is okay anyways yeah, yeah. so you were saying um you could recognize you people could, from could, okay yeah. okay anya i'm wondering about china like how does it yeah. fit into all of this uh, like uh, i want to ask you like does pakistan uh, like do you have an english as an official language i believe yes but i'm going to just confirm for you um but yeah I, i think it is an official language because i remember all our, all our documents official documents are in english yeah yeah she's right i have my cnic on me right now if you want to see so if that's the case then i'm from the only, i'm the only one here who has a country that does not have english as an official language it's, so it's not official language for india hindi is the official language um what is the english is the official language it's not But um, us, we have 30. Yeah. yeah, but ियलिकेशन official textbook teaches in the british accent it teaches the oxford english mm-hmm. and uh and my personal 
education, my personal primary school gives me another textbook that the school provides that teaches an American accent, which is sort of, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it does not really guide us in the in a very specific accent way because the teachers are Chinese and they speak with a relatively like you can hear a Chinese accent to it because currently after like 12 years of English study I can I can recognize it for a bit but most people uh, will st still study from the accent of their instructor who is usually Chinese and I think this syllabus is like I, I'm from Shanghai and Shanghai is a place where there is more international influence inside it but like even in the like more rural areas the like government issued syllabus still offers English courses from the first grade of primary school but still the the accent part of it is extremely Chinese and it's a mandatory course till middle school like after like in the mandatory education for nine years mm. but I personally believe that this course is on the course table, but no one really uses it. And still, the internal affairs are very much like it's, it's always Chinese and it, it works because people speak Chinese all, all, all along. But for another part, like in high school, I did IV, and there aren't really that much like uh, American born or foreign born children in my school. Uh, we're still like like Chinese families, but uh, who work in like, international corporations. For example, my father works in Nam, which is like international uh, food corporation. Mm -hmm. And and in these corporations, English is still like English and Chinese are used at a like the same level. They have all their like sort of um, legal docs of them, or their legal documents in English, and they have. Uh, they make presentations, usually in English, not in Chinese. Um, and what is also interesting is that although it's part of a joke, but the, the, my, my father would humorously tell tell me, but the Shanghainese accent, or it's sort of a dialect, maybe it's the third like of like used language, or Shanghainese Chinese and English are like used equally in the office environment. Which which is very fun because although the Chinese like national language will be written in Mandarin, but Cantonese still have a really huge influence, especially in the South Southern part. And each this each part of China has a lot a lot of their personal accent, and you can hear who is from where just by their speaking. And sometimes you can't even understand what they're saying, even if they also consider Chinese and also consider what I'm saying Chinese. So I think that just uh, straight, but I think that it's the same way with with English because when I was when I was at a younger age, I thought there there is only the U U.S. accent and the U.K. accent because I was taught both of them. And after that, like gradually getting on YouTube and just hearing more people speak English, I realized that the United Kingdom has a range of accents that a lot of them I don't understand and. I think these are more information because I don't really have this opinion to it, but I think I still find it like more practical or the way how we're taught is in a practical sense for us to get into the international environment, like to who has the more cultural influence 
over the accent. Uh, like it's the same as U.S. accent. I wouldn't say that it's it's definitely some more Northern American accent than the Southern part of it. And uh, what I was taught earlier, but I I'm still saying that it's probably the 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 like, the necessity of studying English in a like in a country where it has its own like very dominant uh, national language is to get people involved in the international environment and it usually just goes for the who has the more power part. Mm, yeah. Okay. I'm also wondering about like how that compares to Hong Kong because Icarus been living in Hong Kong for a couple of years and it would make for like an interesting comparison because like China and Hong Kong have an interesting relationship, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just listening to what you were saying and it's, it's just so funny because, um, you know, uh, people in Hong Kong speak Cantonese. So um, if you have a professor who, you know, is like local and he grew up there in Hong Kong, like you would find that people are either aren't listening or just like don't pay, don't care about the lesson. But if you have someone who has a more westernized open, you would see they would pay more attention, laugh at their jokes, etc. But it also like, it, it's also like leaves the question, right? Like, how, where do you draw the line? Like, what if... Uh, what if you just can't understand um, the way they speak and therefore cannot really like would prefer someone with an American or British accent just because you grew up listening to them. So like does racism really like fall into that or is it just a matter of like being comfortable with something just because it's clearer to understand? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm wondering if like you, what your guys' opinions are because I personally like I hear a lot of stuff at Parsons about teachers who speak with a heavy French accent like negative opinions. So I'm just wondering about, like, do you think, um, like what she said, like, is there like a racist aspect to that? Or is it just that you can't understand? And does it affect the quality of your education or the content of what someone is saying? Like, how does that kind of relate to the accent in which, you're, in which they're speaking? If I phrase that well enough. I, I think like, um, <laughs> I would say, like I see both sides, but I think that it's more sort of a systemic racism thing. Like as far as like what you see in the media, um, I think there is this sense that um, the normal English accent in America is like the Northwest Coast accent. Um, and I've definitely experienced that coming from Oregon. Like I've always been told if you want to get a job in news or like on TV, it's easy because of your accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that um, the systemic racism of that, of like normalizing a specific dialect or a specific accent, it's not necessarily like a personal thing, but standardizing one thing means that other people are going to get ostracized, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I think it also depends on like if English is your first language or not. Because personally, coming from me, I can understand pretty much all accents in English. But if you're coming from that not being the first thing that you're learning, you might not be able to understand as much just because you're still getting to know the English one. Yeah, I think that's fair. What about you, Papa? You're nodding your head. So I'm just <laughs> wondering what's going on no, in your I, head. I yeah, I feel like, like Tessa said, like I see both sides of it. Like sometimes you genuinely like cannot understand what someone says, but 
pinning someone down is not fluent because of their accent is definitely unfair, which is what um, what happened with you, I guess. If, um, if that answers your question, that's where I think I would consider that to be um, racism, I guess. Like if, if you can speak fluently, but someone says that you aren't because of the accent with which you speak. Um, I think I, it has more to do with English skills in general than the accent. But I've had, I, I can't understand my um, local professors sometimes. It's just because of like pronun the pronunciation aspect. Of it. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Like when I think of pronunciations, like, I don't know, like, because there's so many, like, I mean, pretty much like almost because I mean, I, I guess it goes back to like the democracy of the language, you know? Like if every single country in the world is supposed to speak it, then there's no right way to pronounce a word. Like it's the same as with a name, I guess, you know? Uh, I'm just thinking of, um, of some people I know that are fine with their names being said in any way they want because they're like, there's no correct way to pronounce a name. And I, I, I think it's slowly like, that's what I see with English because I see like, I have friends who would apologize if they mispronounced a word, but then I'm like, like, why, why do that? It just reminds me of, wait, a better example would be Singlish. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's like Singaporean English. So they pronounce words like very differently from the classical way to pronounce words, but then they're like, it's not English, like it's English. Like we, like they kind of own it in a way, which I find interesting because I haven't seen that in many places. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but Iker, I think you know about it, right? Um, about the Singlish thing. So they, they pronounce it differently and they're really unapologetic about it because they're like, you know, like it's our language, it's everyone's language now. Yeah. And I think like part of the reason why people discriminate like on your English accent is because you haven't accepted yet that it does belong to everyone at this point. And the problem is that your ancestors made sure that everyone would need to speak it at a point. So it kind of just like goes back to that. And it's a bit funny in that. Because you mentioned Singlish, I it just made me think that there is also this this sort of word that's humor in in Chinese says Chinglish means Chinese English, which mm -hmm. has a strong Chinese accent to it. And for, for example, in Shanghai, that Shanghai means language. It has Shanghai is a place which has a history that's that's mostly determined by colonial like influence. And there are many words in the Shanghainese dialect that are like officially English. Uh, for example, coffee is a cafe, mm -hmm. uh, like stuff like that. Um, so I think that I think that, it, and also this is the case with Japanese because there are many words that are just definitely English in in Japanese, and when Japanese people try to learn English. Uh, I, I may not be really good, good a, a great person to tell this, but just just from knowledge, I know that many struggle with getting their Japanese accent, which has the word in English, mm -hmm. to fit with a like more like influential or a UK or American accent. So I think that this part of it just like english as a language have influenced other languages in in this way but when it's correcting to an accent and there is a level of discrimination or practicality in having one accent it's it, it's just making it more i would uh, also you know it kind of makes me think of that thing that the french thing that i have 
you know, heard that you don't have an accent. Well, yes, it's because I picked it up with my ears for survival, but it's also because I don't have a colonial history linked to your language, mm-hmm. you know, per se. That, you're right, you know, the colonial history has a huge part to play in how um, accents become, you know, um, a part of uh, our identities. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a certain way, for those of us who are on the pathway of immigration and integration, our accents are like, you know, uh, they are like the remnants of our culture. They are like the, they, they, they contain the history of our culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, let's say that, you know, for instance, uh, uh, you know, one of us, any of us decides to settle in France and we're, you know, living here and then, you know, we found someone in our lives who's also living here. Um, maybe in great probability, someone who, you know, was born here. And then, you know, we have children and then uh, um, our children, of course, will speak French with a French accent, right? So that history, that uh, the, the history of our immigration will somehow be lost in that translation, right? It's, it's interesting. I kind of feel like, now think about it this way, like, Colonial history has had such a huge part to play in how, for instance, uh, you've got Portuguese and you've got Brazilian Portuguese. They are two different languages, mm-hmm. right? In the same way, um, I mean, Spanish, Spanish, and Argentine Spanish, we treat them as like, you know, literally as different languages, right? Yeah. So in a certain way, uh, it kind of makes me wonder whether accents could be treated like dialects mm-hmm. unto themselves. You know, uh, where each accent could have uh, its own uh, legitimacy as almost a language in itself. Yeah, I think that's interesting because that's exactly what Singlish does, right? Because it doesn't claim to be English. It says, yeah, like, you know, we speak it like this and it's our own language kind of. But that also reminds me of, Anya, when you were talking about like the mixing of words, that kind of reminds me of, I wish Iman was here because... Like she always tells me about when they speak like, like like Arabic. Like they don't even yeah, call it Arabic. Yeah, like yeah. they're like it's it's like a Lebanese language. We mix in English. We mix in Arabic. We mix okay. in French, and that's how we speak. And you know, like it works for us. Like we don't want to be someone else. If that makes sense. And I also think like um like when I speak to my friends at home, like even with Ikra, I guess like we mix in languages, and. I, like it's just really normal at this point to do that and I'm wondering like if in the U.S. you see that with Spanish as well um, yeah I would say kind of especially if you grow up speaking both they kind of get intertwined it's it's English is what they call it oh um where it's basically we, if there's certain words that are shorter to say in a certain language they'll mm-hmm. switch to that or just ones they prefer yeah I think it depends like with particularly with Spanish and English like what community you grow up in and um, what area you grow up in and like where you're around. Um, because some places there's a lot more pressure to speak English with an American accent and completely English. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I was thinking, like doing all these different things, is that the interest that I have in like compound languages, like my dad came up in Hawaii for a little while and they speak pidgin, which is like a combination of English and Japanese and Hawaiian um, and as a native English speaker you can't understand <laughs> that at all. 
Um, and then another one I was thinking about is Tagalog, which has like Spanish and some like Indonesian influences and some Asian influences and some English. So I don't know, I think those sort of languages that have incorporated the colonial influences and also the indigenous language aspects. There's a bit of that in um, a lot of like reservations in the States to like native mm -hmm. reservations. But I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, yeah, I wish Aubrey was here because she could talk about indigenous languages. But anyways, so she isn't here. But uh, but yeah, like I, I feel like about the colonial thing, Tessa, like for I've seen that with my brother, like he refuses to speak English with an accent, like with a British accent or whatever, like the way people would speak it at school, because he just goes like, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do it. And he just like he speaks with like a different accent like on purpose so there's people like that out there like who really like do see like language as a part of your identity and then i have friends who are like you know i can speak english whatever way i want because it's not my native language but if i speak urdu with an accent like that's where things are fucked up for them because they're like that's the language that defines my identity at home so i'm not going to speak that with like a different accent but yeah i'm wondering about anya like with Chinese and I mean sorry with Mandarin and English like would you like could you comment on like accents within within your native language and um, like how people perceive those okay. in relationship with English I guess yeah um so I I don't really find that much of identity in languages actually I think they evolve a lot and for me personally, I have to confess that my Shanghainese is not very good. I, I can understand it, but, but I, I constantly get commented as being Yang Jingbang, which I know it's weird to hear. It means you're not like very native. You're, you're not really the best Chinese speaker. But even so, in Shanghai, there's a lot of discrimination. There has been this, this sort of stereotype on Chinese people as being judging. The, the more like authentic people speak in the tone that's completely not understandable by the people who have like moved into Shanghai in maybe the 70s as its economy, economy starts to boom. So uh, I think that for those people who speak the, that authentic Chinese, the, that language has to be this really, really strong, like I am the one who is history. I am the, the, the right way to do it, that sort of identity that they are somehow noxious in this way. Um, but for me, uh, when I speak Mandarin, others can hear me that can hear that I have a Shanghainese accent or maybe a southern border the Chinese accent. But for me personally, I don't really feel that. And I, I don't really consider a lot of that as being my own identity because uh, the modern China has a very twisted history and my my family I have one side of my mother coming from the north and one side of my father coming from the south and I don't really consider myself anywhere um, being in Shanghai means that I'm a person of mixed identities and and stuff so for for, for my for Mandarin I don't really have a part of that and for English it's it's just like your your friend it's it's a second language for me and I learn it and I use it in college. Uh, I use it to communicate in an international sense, but I still don't feel that 
for example, I think what I pronounce now is a little bit less, but when British people are talking around me, I my my voice just gradually transits into being <laughs> playing ours and just being British. And I get influenced a lot. So I don't find a lot of identity in that, but I mm-hmm. do believe that a lot of people have this part of this their own history and their own pride and their accent. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense. But still it can be a bit like just just for, for the sake of everyone, like understanding you, I think it can mm-hmm. be good to tighten that up a bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um I have a question, right? So I don't know if you guys know Priyanka Chopra, but like once an interviewer or someone asked her, someone asked her, you know, what's, what's your accent? Like you were, you, you know, you live here, you live there, what's your accent? And then she was like, I have a global accent. Like, what, do you, what do you guys think of that? I mean, is that something uh, you should think? Can we hear her accent, guys? Should I put it on? Yes. Just for, um, because I'm... Ashwarya, can we not make judgments here? We have to listen. Okay, wait, let's see. Okay, wait, I'm just gonna, while I pull it up, I think, Anya, like, when you said that about, I forget what you said exactly, but it just made me think of, like, where parents come in. This one? Oh, this one. I don't know. I think it was like a Jimmy Fallon thing in which she yeah. said, said it. Fine, I'll, I'll look it up. I'm sorry. Oh, here. This should work, right? Yeah, you can yeah. Oh, yeah, I forget Many she's married. Ago, it made me uh, reflect on my own trips to India. You know, one of the things, the sense of whatever... Let her speak, bro. It's hard not to yeah. your life. Like, you know, with the swirling number of religions that we have that live within the country as well, um, you know, and so you're, I grew up in, you know, a convent. I think we've heard enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, what do you guys think? The actual Americans here? I mean, I don't think she's American. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. But again, like, yeah, yeah. 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 But like the fact that she frames herself like as having a global accent is interesting because does she mean that like she has a hybrid accent by that or does she mean that she has like a TV voice? I don't know. (laughs) Confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was a bit narcissistic, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, the fact that she's a film star kind of, like, I don't know, adds to that, yeah. Okay, but I'm going to say, like, about the family thing, Anya, like, that's interesting because when my mom... Okay, so I feel like for for what um, the friend that I mentioned earlier, the one whose parents wanted her to have a different voice, and also maybe for you, Tessa, because you said that people comment on how you speak different, and I don't know about you, Fiona, but I'm assuming it's true to, like, some extent, like, do your family members have, like, a different... Oh yeah, my dad said a Jersey accent. Okay. Yeah, I feel like like the fact that a lot of kids like have different accents than their parents and the fact that like the way you speak is so like connected to your identity. Like when my mom hears me talk in English, like she's upset because she mm-hmm. speaks like completely like in a different way. So she's upset. She's like, no, like um, you need to be Pakistani. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that upsets her. Like once or twice she's commented on that. 
So I just try to speak to her with her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just wondering about like, what sort of, like, how does that kind of change the, like, I guess the relationships you have and do you find yourself like actively talking in a different language or like Anya said, like in a different accent, like when you're with different people, depending on who you're with. Um, and even for you guys, like, in the U.S. because you have different accents. Like if you would go to like a Southern part, would you like adapt your voice to that? Like, even if it is like unconsciously, you know? I don't know if you've ever heard Jersey accents. They're super, super thick. I've <laughs> like never heard one, I'm sorry. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever watched the short, the show Jersey Shore. I've heard of it, but and, like, okay. all those people, that's a Jersey mm-hmm. accent. Okay. It's like a thick New York almost-esque. Uh-huh. It's really infectious. So we would always spend <laughs> a month or something uh-huh. in New York and around the New Jersey area. And you leave and you're speaking like a New Yorker. You're like, it's the worst. It's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, I have that a bit with like the southern accent because some of my family lived there for a while. And so if I start to hear it, I'll start to like do it. And it's so funny because I don't even notice, but then I go back to Speaking with people from Oregon, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I changed. <laughs> I think also speaking with people can like, I feel like speaking with like a bunch of international accents versus speaking with American accents, my accent gets thicker when I speak to just American people versus I feel like it gets a bit softer. Yeah, I feel like I've noticed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you have something to say? I feel like, um, I don't know, Tessa, do you remember the class that we had where, yeah, I was just thinking about, like, when you changed your voice, like, everyone in class had, like, comments about about that, like, trying to figure out, like, what the real voice was, and, like, people were commenting on, like, figuring out, like, how that connected to where you came from, and I don't know, there was just, like, a lot of discussion around that, and it just confused everyone in class. Um, <laughs> yeah like I guess it was but it would be cool to maybe like recount that for people here because I think it's a good example of um of what we're trying to talk about here so um you know this was something that I actually did when I had my first recruitment interview at Parsons and it firstly happened unconsciously when I was training for it and then I decided to do it in the interview and then decided to do this with the class. So there is a, a literary history to it, mm-hmm. like, which is what I'll tell you. And then there's a personal history. Okay. So there is a personal history. The literary history is this guy. So basically what happens is, I mean, the context of it is, I hope my future students do not listen to this. <laughs> but, you know, um, when I started teaching you guys, you were the first batch I ever had. I was very lucky to have you as my students. Uh, for the first few weeks, I spoke in an American accent. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, it, it was going fine. And, you know, like everybody was receiving the classes and that. And then we had this class on um, identity. And it had to do with, um, the first part of it was about this, this um, blind person and how this person perceives the world, right? So what role sound plays, you know, in perceiving this world. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this person, etc. And then we shifted to um, the the second part where this thing happened, which is uh, American
asks her, you know, where she's from, etc. And she, you know, uh, says she's from Nigeria and all. And then uh, he says, wow, you, uh, you have perfect English. You have no accent, you know. And this guy is speaking like with, with a thick uh, Nigerian accent. So the um, author, um, you know, before they have this conversation, she's actually made fun of him during the conversation because he's mispronounced something. And, you know, as we also tend to do, you know, uh, back home with people who have strong accents. And so there is a moment of conscience that sparks in her mind. And uh, she realizes, you know, what uh, linguistic uh, burden she is carrying and how she's managed to cross it and this person hasn't. And so in the second scene, she uh, is going to buy uh, a ticket, like a train ticket or something. And she thinks about this accent. She called it the Mr. Agbo accent, which is like the name of an English teacher who would, you know, speak to her in this really perfect received pronunciation English. And it was the English she would always use and, you know, to kind of have that feeling of uh, being legitimate. But she breaks that accent uh, when she's buying that ticket. And it becomes the moment where she kind of reconciles with her identity, uh, you know, her African identity. And while I was giving this whole class, so while I was recounting this passage, the moment when she breaks her accent, I broke my accent. Without warning anybody. So, and then, like, I think someone, I don't know, it would be very interesting to know the reaction you guys had to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that is the academic part. And then there's the personal part. I mean, in reaction to, like, what what I remember, like, one person was brave enough to say, um, I think someone said it, right? Yeah, someone said that, Piyush, like, why are you talking, like, different now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Sia, yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, and we were just really confused, and we didn't confront um, we didn't confront Piyush until like after lunch break, I think. We yeah, were just we talking. Break, like, right after, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't even in the class, and I heard about that for about a month. <laughs> 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 because me, Emma, and Nicola, like yeah. all of us lived together back then, so we would just tell Fiona about how yeah. messed up it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I really like the word linguistic burden. I yeah, think that yeah. says, yeah, right. Like, it just got stuck in my head. Um, but this reminds me of when, so my, my grandmother is Iraqi and she still speaks Arabic. And we went to, um, I forget what city we went to, but we went to Iraq. This was like five or six years ago. And she never like, I mean, she has no reason to speak it at home except for if she's, I don't know, on the phone with her friends or something. So we went back and she spoke to like a shopkeeper in Arabic and she speaks it the same way because it hasn't been influenced by anything, you know, because there isn't anyone speaking Pakistani Arabic because it doesn't exist. Um, but she went back and she spoke the language and the guy was like, you know, um, when I saw you, like you looked like an outsider because the rest of us don't speak Arabic. And then she did. And he immediately like, like it said a lot about her identity, like when he met her and she was just kind of like crying after because she was like, you know, the fact that I can still speak it the same way means that I'm still an Iraqi. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think I think that word is interesting because it kind of points to how we connect ourselves to the languages we speak, even if those are like not our native languages because they do connect to our identity in different ways um and when you i think for immigration like 
when you see like your kids speaking a different language or just because you put them in different schools, it, it just upsets you because you see how things have moved and how time has passed. Because for her, it was the same thing, you know, like the aspect of time coming in and just, I don't know, like, um, like I just think the audio aspect of it, like actually hearing it is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely um, a certain, like you said, like a certain history of um, our own, uh, you know, not just our own immigration, but also that of um, our parents involved. One thing that I find really interesting is, you know, how, like, listening to all these conversations, how our uh, attitudes to accents have changed so radically mm. uh, over these past, over this past decade, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, includes me. I mean, for me, the change happened, I think, when I was uh, eight years old, you know, when I switched from uh, the American accent to the Indian accent. But, um, like, you know, when you think about it, um, on one side, I hear stories of people who have, you know, parents, first generation immigrants who have, you know, speak uh, in a certain native accent and whose children. Uh, speak more with, you know, normal accents in their country of adoption, right? And uh, these parents often encourage their children to, yeah, they're happy that, you know, their children don't have to bear that linguistic burden. I mean, there's a, a novel by Jhumpa Lehri called The Namesake, which is, uh, which kind of revolves around this idea. Um, but then there is the opposite, which I also just heard uh, from, from you, you know, which is, uh, now we have uh, parents who are reclaiming, you know, they're saying that, you know, you have to be Pakistani, you know, you must speak with a Pakistani accent, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, kids, uh, or people of our age who are reclaiming uh, our uh, accent identity, so to say. Mm-hmm. I think of, you know, for instance, you know, kind of being between, like, uh, you know, comment can I just add a comment about the Pakistani thing before I continue? Like, I was just thinking about, so for my mom in specific, like, she's seen me go through school, right? Like, she's seen whatever, like, the languages I speak with my friends, but I wouldn't speak English at home. So she never really heard me talk before. I don't know, like, she saw videos of me at school or something like mm-hmm. that. And I don't know, like, I just think for, like, in the sense of education, I mean, I grew up in Pakistan. It's not like I grew up somewhere else. So it just makes me think about what is a Pakistani accent? Like, mm-hmm. it's more of, like, like, I would say it's more of like your privilege is defined by your accent. And she didn't grow up with the same privileges that she gave me when I grew up. And just seeing that, I feel like, like was like misplaced, not even anger, but like, I feel like she couldn't, you know, like when you, I don't know, like it's, it's hard to put into words, but I, I feel like it was really poignant when she, when she said that to me, because she was so confused herself as to what happened, like all of these years passed by. And she was just like looking at it now, like it just came into focus, how much things have changed for our family also. And just as to how I grew up compared to how she grew up as a woman in Pakistan, you know, because when she was growing up, like she had very different privileges as a woman and her family was, um, I wouldn't want to talk about this too much, but, but I think you guys get what I'm getting at, which I think like, that's what really, um, I think connected to what I experienced back then. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just thought I'd put that in before we moved forward. Um, no, that's yeah that's very interesting like the whole idea of us wanting to connect with uh either like generations are 
know, parents for our children and having those differences in linguistic differences. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. The, the only thing I was thinking about, you know, is um, in my generation, uh, for instance, I have two friends, both of them from my generation who have gone to the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them, they're both very successful uh, uh, people. One of them speaks uh, an American accent, and one of them speaks with an Indian accent. And it's okay, it works for both of them. The guy who speaks with an American accent, he completely assumes the fact that he speaks with an American accent. And you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it works, you know, for him to climb the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. right? If he's going to be heading an organization one day uh, and representing, uh, uh, you know, a, a community of Americans in the professional world, he chooses to keep that accent and you know represent that identity, be part of that American identity, like this, this sublime American identity. And then there's the other guy who keeps his accent. So, but you know, like uh, the question is, like on a professional level, does that prevent him from being representative today? Uh, in an organization, like would we accept, for instance, you know, having uh, uh, I don't know an American president with mm. uh, a pronounced English accent? Wait, as in, like, does that make him representative of Indians because he speaks with an American accent when he talks in English? Is that like what I'm getting from that? And what I'm, the question uh-huh. I'm asking is okay. like, you know, so I understand that actually both of these are legitimate. Yeah. Right. Whether you have an Indian accent or you have an American accent today, I know people who have done both and they function perfectly well in society. The question is like, if you are in a position of representation mm-hmm. of leadership mm-hmm. in a given environment like that, can you retain uh, an accent mm-hmm. that you know, is diasporic or that is that's interesting because it reminds me of what's happening at home right now with Bilal Bhutto. I'm not sure if many of you guys know him, but he's like one of the candidates for being president. Like he's the head of one of the political parties at home. Um, and he like, I mean, he's Pakistani, but he pretty much like grew up in the UK. So when he talks in English, fine, like he has a like British accent. But what people find the problem to be is that when he speaks in Urdu, he also has an accent. And people get mad at that. So that's where, like, I feel like I would also draw the line. If you're, um, if you're like, I think it depends on where you're representing someone. Like, if, if, if you're talking about at Pakistan, if you have, like, a president and he speaks in, in English, like you said, um, and he, like, has, um, like, a, like, not a local accent or, like, a, like a different one, um, people find that okay, but if you speak in like the language of what's like kind of attached to like the earth, because you say mother language, right? And by that you mean like the language of that um, of that ground is where um, a lot of people I know. And um, like for for this specific example, like when he speaks in Urdu, like he has like a like a foreign accent, and that's where people are like, no, he cannot represent us because he has a foreign accent. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to hear from you guys, I guess, about like if you have a president who talks in English, but with an accent, because that's the language of your ground. I mean, it's not, but, <laughs> but let's just say it is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think at the current time it would have been really possible just because of everything that's happening in the US. I mean, if you look back at Obama, 
the amount he had to fight through just to like, prove that he was an actual American citizen if they had an accent. I don't think they would be able to be elected. What about a Native American accent? I don't interesting because even if you are born and raised in the U.S., there are certain factors that there's a lot of hate going on, especially currently, that prevents people really from having any variation when it comes to it just goes back to back to education so I had friends at school friends outside school family and I feel like I spoke to everyone about mostly everything so for me in specific I would say that I can for the languages that I do speak fluently I can express myself in almost every form but for Urdu I would say it's hard for me to express myself academically because we never had it to that extent at school but for English it covers everything which is sad <laughs> um, but yeah, but um, to add to that, my mom, no, my dad, my dad speaks Sindhi as well. So for him, I've seen that when he's like talking business, he's more comfortable in Sindhi because all of his like the business associates, like most of them talk in Sindhi. So he's more comfortable in that. 
and it grows not in her head because she also speaks um, with her family. Yeah, it has like an emotional side for me. So, um, mm. yeah, and for example, the person who teaches me Spanish, she has a more academic look on English because she's learning it through books and stuff. It's also interesting because I was thinking that, you know, Zara, we had, we had a British education. Our headmaster was British, all of that. But then why did, why is the American accent revered in our high school? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I think it might be the, um, probably not, but if you think about it, a lot of people that I know from school do speak in like a pseudo British accent. But yeah, I mean, it's easy American, right? Like you see people like trying to imitate that. I don't get it. Um, like, no, I don't, I don't get the, the British part of it because, wait, you, you think people don't speak in a British accent from school? Yeah, because, I mean, look at, look at the way a lot of, like, privileged Pakistani people speak, right? They try to emulate the British accent. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. American, sorry, not the British, the American one. Is it because oh. the British one is hard to do? Because the British accent, a lot, a lot of people would say that it's the OG accent, the British one. Wait, I disagree. I think they, I think they try to imitate the British accent, which I, I despise. Um, wait, I'm going to play a voice note from a friend. Here, yeah, bad example, but um, I, I think it's more British. Like, like I, I don't see the American influence there. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I mean, like, we're <laughs> really, like, analyzing people's voices here. I know, it's, it's really it. hard, but I, I don't know. I just see like that British influence there. I really don't see it as American. Fiona, what do you think? Like, really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Is it like the blue dress? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know, but like, I, I honestly, like, like, I've always thought that. Like people try to sound like they're from Britain because they're hungover from um, the colonial era. But okay, I don't know. I'm really confused. No, I experience our community because for us, I think it's easier to like uh, imitate an American accent than a British one. So I've seen like people do like try try the American one more than the British one. From what I've seen. Okay, I don't know. Like, I've always just, I, I've thought the opposite, like, my whole life. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I really have nothing more to say to that because I'm confused myself now. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm um, the only one who's feeling this, but uh, I think from a person who is, like, really relatively foreign to English, I feel like most of the time when I'm hearing people speak English in a, in their own like very strong accent, which is like not like prototype such as a, a standard US or standard UK. It it just seems like it it's own and it's unique. And I find it like sort of difficult to link it back to something. Or if I'm going to do that, I'm gonna maybe link like like an Indian English accent to like actual Hindu if that's similar or if my imagination is somewhat like reasonable uh, so I think that it's it's just in this worldly environment English accents are less considered to be 
viel Wohlstands- und Mm. No, I think it makes complete sense. But I'm also wondering, like, for you, Anya, like, in China, like, is there, um, I don't know how to phrase this question, but for me, like, um, this is really hard to express, but, okay, so I have a class this semester where I'm supposed to write poetry. So I wanted to write in Urdu and I have like um so one of my friend's moms I mean not friend my cousin's mom yeah so she's like really into Urdu poetry but I always talk to my cousin in English so she's never like heard me speak in Urdu that much so when I approached her she was like you know like Urdu is in your first language so it's going to be hard for you to write in Urdu and she was just being really condescending when it is my one of my first languages um but like like I feel like there's also like this culture of shaming people for for their languages like even if you wouldn't know much about about them or just making judgments off that or just being like one person can only speak one language if that makes sense um because I see that a lot and also um Fiona I don't, I'm not gonna name anyone but um but uh, uh yeah like some of my close friends um like I like um they were just like being weird about like me speaking English they would just be like you know I don't even see you as brown and I was like what like how does that how does that even connect like you have brown people in the U.S. do you go up to them and be like you aren't brown because you speak English um but I don't know there's just this weird culture of like wanting to limit people to I don't know if it comes from like a negative place necessarily or if it just comes from because you know because you're used to people speaking one language where you come from I think it's also a lot of internalized racism you know because yeah. mm-hmm. I think especially with Americans and like the way that they hear English the more articulate you are the less of whatever you are they assume you be the more integrated they feel you are mm-hmm. so I feel like that's probably for sure yeah even yeah, like when I transferred from CBSE to IB um my CBSE friends like would like call me white because I went to IB and now that I'm in like France that's like even like accentuated even more yeah yeah I also think like there's like people just want to hold on to their identities and kind of block them like I see that with my with my yeah with, with her mom she's like you know like like you can't write poetry in Urdu because I've seen you speak English and you speak it fine so that means like you can't speak Urdu and then my friends who heard me speak English and not my other language are like no you're not brown so like from both sides there's this weird like you know like you have to belong to one place and you have to like stay in your box which is really weird and I'm still trying to unpack a lot of like um these experiences around your identity and your language and it's just, like, just it would be less insidious if you like if you realize that they're they're just shocked right because how do how are Indians and Asians portrayed in American media you have like characters with like the really thick accent with the bindi and all of that and stuff it's always yeah i think it's far as stereotyping the cultures and i think i have a classmate of mine recently uh, we were watching uh, a hindi song okay and she it was a blatant comment saying he doesn't look indian and then i my immediate response was what do you what is looking indian mean mm, yeah that was my immediate response yeah um, so, like some of my friends and I were watching we were watching like Barbie movies as a throwback and in one of them there's like a talking parrot 
And it's like basically the parrot just like says like silly comments, and the parrot is the only one playing with an Indian accent. No, oh, my God. <laughs> it was like so messed up. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that movie. I don't know what it's called, but yeah. I remember that. I don't The Indian accent has like a history in uh, yeah. media. I mean, there was a documentary done about it, which is probably not the best resource, but it's called The Problem with Apu. It's mm-hmm. by Hari Kondaburu, who is uh, a comedian of uh, South Asian descent. And it, it traces like this caricature of the South Asian slash Indian accent, which more or less begins with The Party by Peter Sellers. I don't know if you know that movie. Uh, Peter Sellers, great uh, actor who in 1967, I I think, came out with this movie called The Party, where there's this guy called Bakshi, who is a yoga teacher, (laughs) goes to a party where he receives like an invitation to a party where he wasn't supposed to go. And he's going there and being like his usual wacky Indian self, which Peter Sellers in brown face. And it basically creates this stereotype of the uh, awkward Indian man, uh, you know, and this was propagated then through many other such stereotypes in American media. And Apu, the character from The Simpsons, was basically this guy uh, who carried this for, you know, gen- for like, decades in The Simpsons. And uh, yeah, so there is definitely uh, kind of like a cultural history to the Indian accent. He comment, commented on this in the documentary. There was a lot of discussion about it. But yeah, there are many such sources. What are your opinions on the Big Bang Theory? Like people compliment oh, the way yeah. it handled it. But I mean, I, I'm just like, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, his original accent is not Indian. It's not? It's not. What? It's not. He's putting no. it on, really? It's okay, not. I don't know that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really weird. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the other side of the story. So now, like, it's what Hari Kondabul also said in the documentary. A lot of Asian actors are asked to play parts speaking in a South Asian accent mm-hmm. to get brown roles. It's yeah. something that Aziz Ansari also comments on. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I'm also thinking of um, Kumail Nanjiani because I think he also put out something similar I, I forget what happened but um but yeah um also is, is this also true for asian actors or i haven't really i don't know much about um about if they're also treated the same way when it comes to um media like the like i haven't really heard too many asian accents on media to be honest yeah and even like people with like asian accents are also sort of exaggerated I think it's just people holding on to like wanting something to discriminate against. Like yeah. at first it was like, you know, you suck if you don't speak English. And now it's like, you suck if you speak English, but not with a certain accent. Yeah. The next step is going to be, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I think also this idea of what you were saying about um, you can only have one thing. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking a lot in a couple different circles about intersectionality and just the idea that like one person isn't allowed to have more than one identity or like more than one influence on their identity and I think um 
I think that that has tied into a lot of stereotyping. So like what we were talking about before, like, is it just the accent or is it the way you look as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both have an effect. And yeah, I don't know. Um, just the idea that you can, you can only have one thing. Yeah. Um, the, like, your identifying factor seems crazy to me. Yeah, I have like a very small anecdote uh, with respect to that. It's like a random incident of racism I had to face in Mill, in Bristol. So, uh, you know, I'm so I'm a musician, and uh, in Bristol, I was performing as a part of a band, and uh, we were doing uh, Mexican Christmas carols. So uh, we were all dressed up, you know, in poncho. And some red and stuff, and so you know, we were just like chilling. And Bristol is like an amazing city. And um, so, yeah, I was just like this Indian guy in Mexican dress, you know, chilling with uh, some of my British friends in Bristol and having just having fun, you know. And uh, so, it was evening time, and a um, bunch of these uh, guys in like, uh, you know, in a nightclub where uh, men and women that going like literally 20, 30 meters away on the other side, and you know, like, all packed up and ready. And then this guy, he literally walks up to me, this big guy, yeah, comes up to me and he looks at me and says, Oi, do you smell of curry? Oh, oh my god, and and, and like I froze, I'm like, What? Like, yeah. Do you smell of curry? That's and I like, and he's he leaves saying, like, because you look like it. Oh, wow. And then oh, he just no. leaves. And um, I didn't like to break the humor of the thing. I told my friend, but how could he smell me from so far away? And so, you know, the, the answer to Tessa is that, yes, we, we can imbibe and integrate uh, all, all our identities all our different aspects, and um, but you know when it comes to discrimination, you know a way will always be found. Mm-hmm. If I was a bit more present, you know, uh, uh, if when you said, "Oh, you smell of curry," I would have said uh, something like, "No, but you sure sound like beer," <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. But uh, it's it's it, they'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's just human culture at this point, you know, like there, it will always be there like in some form. There's a big problem in media too with like presenting characters of color as mm-hmm. like that's their only identifying factor. Mm-hmm. So you don't get like queer characters of color, you don't get mm-hmm. um, like characters who are dealing with um, immigration things or who are second generation immigrated people or like, you know, things like that where they get to have multiple identifiers. It's always just like, the character of color or the queer character, you know, like yeah. so. Yeah, I think that ties back into that earlier conversation about media. But. Definitely. I also think Tessa, like, it's closely connected to like fear of wanting to be something other than yourself, like what you're supposed to be. Like, you're always scared of um, like overstepping your boundaries because of experiences like those. Also, because you're scared something like that's going to happen to you, or because someone said something before. Like, I was scared of texting my 
my cousin's mom in the first place you know i was like she, she might say something mean to me or be like this isn't your place to do something like this um but yeah uh yeah i, I think there's definitely um that also when it comes to like being put into boxes I just thought of the baby it's, it's a bit far, but like we're talking about media and especially about accents, a very like prominent thing in media with accents and comedy. And comedy has a lot of stereotypes doing strange doing accents from a place and portraying it in a And I think it's it's because I'm I'm trying to compare the English language, English comedy with other forms other languages and for Chinese comedy the the somehow most successful Chinese comedians always come from the north and east part of China. There is no real like uh this, this like discrimination against them but it's just that it's naturally funny in a way. And it's also the same with Japanese the, the mo- most I think used com- comedy accent is the Kansai and the, the Western. And but with English, I think it's just how much it's spread up and how much the comedy is still limited to a national sense. There is a there is this limit to the content. But I see many comedians speaking many different accents from many different races, and I think that it's good with the English language in this way. And I think that portraying these stereotypes in the funny sense if it's not harmful it can somehow be beneficial for us to realize that that this problem is still here so just a just a sudden thought (laughs) yeah no i agree with like because it's so spread out it's just like a hunger games like everyone's trying to claim it in some way and if someone (laughs) like tries to act like they own it then you just have to shame them and remind them of their place so from like what I understand, you're saying that there is comedy in China where uh, Chinese people, Chinese comedians from different communities make fun of different accents. Uh, yeah, it's true. Like, um, so there is always the sort of movement making fun of accents from different countries, different like provinces, different areas. Of but like with comedians, like especially comedians, the maybe the national. Of most prominent, like most famous comedians, they always come from this North and East mm-hmm. part. Like that, that accent, that North and East accent, with their specific behavioral trends or their behavioral tendencies, seem to be uh, nice and funny. Not like, not like they're racist and funny, but like just, just interesting. So, yeah, I think it's just this tendency that, that we have to consider. I think that um, I 100% agree that you know comedy uh, is one of the platforms where you can kind of release the tension in and provided it's a safe space where there is a certain amount of agreement and consent between participating parties of making fun of each other. You know, like I think of uh, Harold and Komal. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. uh, this Asian guy and this you know South Asian guy who are like going on these bro adventures. And they're both like, you know, making fun of each other's cultures and of others' cultures and everyone making fun of them. That can work. Uh, I think the 
thing to consider is you know um, if there is a history of domination involved. Mm. So, for instance, you know, uh, in India, we make fun amongst each other's uh, communities a lot. I'm Punjabi, and you know, uh, we get made fun of by a lot of cultures because of our lack of culture. You know, <laughs> uh, the only culture Punjabis have is agriculture. And the Punjabis make fun of people from the south, they make fun of Bengalis, but we're on the same thing. Yeah. Right? Yep. The problem arises when there is a colonial history involved, when there is a you know dominant hierarchy involved. Uh, that is when you can at the same time use the license to kind of bring that to light. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have to demonstrate, I think, a certain level of awareness. But yeah, yeah, I think that also echoes with like uh, with Islamophobia here. Like people talk about why why you can't treat Islam like the other religions because of the power struggle that's part of its history with the political um, happenings in the area. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's a really important point for sure. For the uh, for the point that was mentioned about portraying about relieving this through comedy like you have to be really skillful right in like executing it without offending anyone like you have to do it in a very tactful manner if you want to like raise this issue with comedy yeah and at the same time comedy you kind of have to go for it you have to hit people in the gut you mm-hmm. have to offend as well oh, yeah. so yeah. it's a balance it's definitely a balance yeah, yeah and also like from like who's doing the comedy like a lot for a lot of people like if like a white comedian made the same joke it wouldn't be appropriate um but yeah i'm also thinking about um like the appearance aspect of it again because for some people um like privileges especially i think in south asia like it's very closely related to what you look like so if you're a skin color cider and you're making a joke about you know what i mean um i, I forget um i forgot the exact example but i mean if you remember it but it wouldn't be appropriate if someone darker made that joke because of the connotations of where they're coming from, if that makes sense. It's kind of like regional, but in a different way. Um, but yeah, I don't think I expressed that well. Not all, but <laughs> I tried. Oh, yeah, there's one more point that I wanted to bring in about, so there's this thing that happened recently, I'm not sure if a lot of you guys know about it, but in Pakistan, like, they passed a bill that makes learning Arabic compulsory for uh, for students in Islamabad when it's not a mother language, it's not, like, an inter- international language, like, you can't learn, like, a specific Arabic and work in any Arab country because all of them have different dialects. But their claim was that it's our religious identity mm-hmm. and there's a culture um at home especially and in countries that are muslim but not middle eastern like not not arabic countries basically where um like there like there isn't a pressure to learn arabic but it's almost revered the same way as english would have been once upon a time like in history when not everyone used to speak it as a status symbol and also as 
to be like, I'm more spiritually, like I'm better than you in that sense. But yeah, I was just wondering what you guys think about that. Yeah. I mean, India, we, we're having something, it's lesser religious. It's a protection of a nationalist identity. Uh, the imposition of Hindi, yeah, uh, which is being met with a lot of resistance, of mm-hmm. course. In the region. I mean, this is interesting. So, the idea that uh, Arabic has now become part of compulsory curriculum mm-hmm. as part of maybe also as a reinforcement of Islamic pride. Yeah, it's funny. Like even in uh, like the Muslim community in India, uh, words like words are like like Ramzan is becoming Ramadan. Mm. There's a lot of uh, switching happening, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just goes back to like the whole thing about identity and you know, like really wanting to hold on to pieces of it by linguistic manner, like a linguistic um like power, I guess. Um but yeah, I also think of when like in immigrant circles, I've seen it a lot, but like your um for Muslims especially. Like you keep um, not learning Arabic, but like you memorize the Quran or stuff like that. And it is a language, but it's not treated as a language. I feel like it's more of like, um, like, I, <laughs> like I doubt for Christians, you guys have to learn the, the Bible or like learn Hebrew. But yeah, it's just the way like it's being treated differently, um, which also goes back to the whole conversation about comedy and about how like you need to consider the history of where a certain thing is coming from. In terms of power dynamics, I don't know. I think the whole conversation around like language and religion for me is really interesting, particularly with Christianity, but I'm sure it happens with all um, religions. But like the Bible and the religious texts that are used in Christianity have been translated and rewritten by so many people that it's like not the original text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um one of my family members my aunt decided that she was going to learn like ancient Hebrew so that she could retranslate it herself wow and I just thought the idea that it's not even the same like material is so interesting and the fact that it's just it's changed just because of language and the fact that some things can't be translated from one language to another and so the meaning has changed Mm. I think that's the the thing like very specific to the Quran is on the culture. Like even with Buddhism, original Sanskrit is pretty like or ar- archaeological ar- and in India, in 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 China, in Japan, in many Southeastern Asian countries, Buddhism is divided with their translations into different factions. And the, the original text, as Buddhism does not even have one single text, it, it's a lot of texts. And it's not like the Bible or the Quran, it's a book you can go to. Um, I think that it, it's just like Arabic is still alive and still very widely used that, that makes the Islamic um, like cultural very different. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean, like, wait, what Tessa said, like, with the original meaning being lost like we have the opposite like it's still there but like i can read it but i don't know what it means mm-hmm. so it's like the inverse of that like there's certain countries where it isn't spoken but people refuse to translate it like if i 
like our family, like we never would read the Quran in Urdu or English because my mom would just be like, it's inauthentic, which makes no sense because you're reading it in Arabic, but you don't get what it means. Um, so it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, yeah, they read in Arabic even though you can't understand it. Yeah, like there's just like, I don't know. And if you learn it, even better. You, you've memorized it, but you don't know like what it means. Yeah, um, yeah it's kind of ridiculous, but. But I'm wondering also for, for you guys, you know, because it is the original language, right? Sanskrit for us in the room. Yeah. Uh, because all the verses, I mean, we have these Hindu rituals. So during that, please comes and performs rituals. So okay. they have this set of verses that they kind of read. And that's all. And like, I'm thinking of Sanskrit, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't get a word. And I, I'm sure everybody sitting there, they don't understand much of it. Only him or who's performing, they get they understand it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, like you just said, we uh-huh. we just listen to it. I mean, yeah. maybe if I try hard, I can read it as well. Okay. I don't know what it means. Really yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. It's very similar to actually with um, the Mitzvah's Master that we have to memorize the Torah, and none of those kids know a single thing they're saying. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you still have to say it, and that's the entire point. Mm-hmm. You have to have, I think you have to have lessons for like a year at that point, just so you can properly say the words that you don't understand. Wow. Yeah. Like, for Ganesh Chaturthi, it's like a festival. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many shlokas that I know, like, by heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. so many, but yeah. I don't read any of them. Like our grandparents teaches uh that it's some verses that we and you have to like pray. Yeah. Okay. So I know them by heart, but I don't know what they yeah, mean. What they mean yeah. Wow, that really is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of prayers and people could not tell you what they mean. Same so like I know so many, but I don't know what any of them mean. But there are people who know what it means. Yeah. It's just that it's not very common to know. What it yeah. Means. It's just a memorization that really confuses me. Like, it's you think you're memorizing it, but you don't know what it means. Um, oh, that just reminds me really funny. Like, girl, your, your name is, like, the first word of the Quran. first <laughs> word that was revealed. Yeah. Not the first. It's not the first. Okay. Whoops. Yeah, that yeah. just shows you how much I know. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, and I think we're almost close to two o'clock, so I guess we're good, guys. But I don't know if anyone have like any closing thoughts or what we can do next week. I mean, I want to. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Why am I saying sorry? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really interested to talk about religion, but I know it's sensitive to some people, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm also. I was also to mention that because I I personally live in a country that's not. Yeah, I think we started yeah. on something, but we can't really finish in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like a poetry session or something as well. Like oh, we could connect yes. that with religion. I would be so happy. Yeah. I feel like we should do a poetry yeah. night. Also, oh, it's like we're doing it, Fiona. Yeah, like Napoli Month, like National Poetry Night. Oh wait, when is it next? Month. Oh, like in April. So, okay. Yeah, there's like prompts to be submitted. So perfect. Yeah. 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 Like, just poems would also be cool. Yeah. yeah. I can do like some poetry too. Like. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, similar to that, it's also sexual assault survivor month. Mm. So that could be interesting. That as could well. be like a week thing as mm-hmm. well. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll just put that down before I forget. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, Fiona, I don't think you know, but Olivia said she could bring in like her brother's friends or something who do rap in Lebanon. So we could oh, have yeah. a session about, I don't know, like it could connect to poetry because I mean, yeah, that could be like a good one session. Okay. It's a good transition from this uh, episode, right? Because it's about verbal communication. Yeah, good point there. Maybe poetry can be next week. Um, yeah, no, I think I would love to do a poetry session. It's, it's really funny, especially like Pakistani poetry. Like they go on about love and then they go like, oh yeah, we're talking about God. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let's close this off, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks, Ikra, for coming in online and talking about it. Yeah, I'm really glad you started off. Like, I think that was really... Yeah, yeah I was like, you know, if you want to leave. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to say bye. 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 Thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you have to say bye. Oh, yeah, you guys have to say bye. <laughs>